Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of our service today. Um, I know the bulletin says Rich Miller, but I'm pinch hitting for Rich this morning. And so uh, we're going to do even something different than what is listed in the bulletin, something that's been on my heart for a few weeks, actually kind of began to be birthed in me about a month or so ago. And so I want to share uh, something from uh, from that today instead of rethinking church, which is what the title is in your bulletin. But before I do that, I have a couple of things to do. Number one, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, the total for our Christmas Eve offering as of this morning uh, was over $5,000. So they are so excited to receive the operating table, plus an additional $1,000 or so of medical supplies and things we will be able to purchase for the Revolution Clinic in San Juan. So in Spanish, buenísimo is great. So let's all say that together. Buenísimo. Very good. Very good. Okay, so um, so they're excited about that, and I want to thank you, and I know there's at least one person this morning that said, hey, can I still give to that? So so we'll be over $5,000, and so I want to say thank you for, for that. Then I want to give you a little bit of a heads up as to what we're going to be doing over the next few uh, few weeks. So next Sunday, we will be celebrating communion together. Here as a, as a church body, we do that once in um, in uh October, once in January, and then once in the, in the summertime. And so we want to, to celebrate that together. We also were planning to have baptisms. Uh, the one person I had lined up to get baptized has had a surgical procedure, and she can't get in the water quite yet. But if you've been thinking about it and you want to be the first person to be baptized in our new portable baptistry um, with hot water, uh, you can uh, see me soon. I need to talk to you about it first. We don't just throw people in the baptistry, so, uh, but uh, we, can, uh, we can check into that and uh, maybe, maybe next week. But if not, we'll just talk about baptism and communion, and we're going to take communion no matter, uh, no matter what, but uh, we may not have a baptism until later on in, in January. But also then, next week, there's a couple of other things that, we, that we're starting. Um, we will be beginning on January 12th, which I know is the week after that, we're going to be beginning a series of messages called Moments in Matthew where we will be walking through the Gospel of Matthew all the way from the beginning to the end. We'll end around Easter time at the resurrection of Jesus. And what we're inviting you to do is to read along with us two chapters a week. Right? So that's not too much. Two chapters of Matthew every week, and the sermon that Sunday will be based on an event or an overview of those two chapters. So we also have a B.V. Cobb sermon group. And we would love for you to engage as you read those chapters. If you read something that you want to share, hey, this is a really good thing I saw. I'd like to share that with you. You can put that on the, on the Facebook page. Or if you have a question, you can, you can comment on that. So there's only about, there's about 55 or 60 people on that group right now. It's a private group. You have to be invited. So if you want to be invited to that group, it's, there we go. You can text right now to me, add me. And then I will invite you to that group. Now, make sure you get the right telephone number, because if you text add me to the wrong number, bad things might happen. So I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to get on a mailing list for, you know, Pampered Chef or something like that. So, so you know, put, not, not speaking disparagingly of Pampered Chef, but um, just text add me to that number. I will invite you then to the group, and you'll be on it, and, um, and then you can, as people you don't have to comment, but you can read what other people comment, and we'll be, we'll be doing that. Also, next week, we'll be passing out a list where all the folks in the congregation, as of about maybe four weeks ago, all of those folks are on a prayer list, um, a daily prayer list. So the idea is that, I think there is actually 38 days, but basically designed around 48 day, 40 days. But each day, the congregation, many of you who will join, will actually pray for that particular list of people that day. So the idea is, let's say we have 100 people who actually do this. 
So on that day, if you're on day one, um, which if your name begins with A, you might be on day one, last name begins with A, but they're not just totally alphabetical. But the idea is that there would be like 100 people that would be praying for you that day. And you would join in in prayer for that particular person. And we're going to give you a laminated card that has some text on it. All right, so Dan, the thing is blinking at the top. And I think that was a problem last time because there was something that was clicked on in the, in the thing. So, um, okay, now I think we're probably good. All right. But it's, it's doing the blinking thing again at the top. I love technology. I really do. I'm not a grumpy old man. I'll be 55 in a few weeks, but I really do love technology. But what, sometimes when it doesn't work, it's, it's, it can be a little bit frustrating. So, all right, maybe you're just going to have to follow along with me because I got battery and everything, but it's giving me that blinking thing. So anyway, on a card, a, a laminated card, we're going to have these available next week. A laminated card with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And when I read these words, excuse me, 14 through 21, when I read these words, I want you to think about are these words that you would not want prayed for you? Like, are these words that you would want people to pray for you? So it starts out, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That is such a great prayer. I mean, that's, those are the things that I want in my life. I want God to do those things in my life, to fill me with his spirit. And I hope you do too. And our desire is that, that on that day, when your name is on there at least, that, that a bunch of people are going to be praying for God to do that in your life. And then you can also, if you know that particular family, you know the folks, you can pray for them for other reasons as uh as well. So that will start on January 12th. So that's when the 40 days is going to begin. We're going to pass those out next week. We'll have them available. And I'm excited about this. This is something I've been thinking about for a long time. This is something that I do routinely throughout the year, utilizing the church directory. And I just thought it'd be great to just sort of get a whole bunch of people doing it. And let's see what happens. I don't know. Maybe something really cool will happen um, in this in this opportunity to, uh, to get together to um, to pray. Okay. Commercial's over. Now we're going to start the, uh, start the sermon today. So in preparation for this Matthew series, which I usually write my sermons four or five weeks ahead of time, I was reading through, guess what? The Gospel of Matthew. And in reading through Matthew, I found something or saw something that I'd never really seen before, and I thought it was significant, so I wanted to share it to, with you, and it has to do with the idea of repentance. So if we look at Matthew chapter 3, that is where we get the first glimpse of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is this fiery character who says to be, is clothed in uh, camel's hair and uh, leather belt and eats locusts and wild honey. I had one person in the first service who's eaten locusts before. Anybody here eating locusts? Eating locusts? No? Okay. He said it tasted like chicken. So I don't know, but that's what he told me. So, um, so we see this very interesting. The word repent is prominent in the beginning words of John the Baptist. So in Matthew 3, we read this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't think John just went around and said only repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think he said other things too. But the idea is that Matthew captures his message with this phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John Baptist opens up the gospel, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we also see it in Jesus's ministry. 
So when you read through Matthew, you'll see, if you haven't already done, if you're not familiar, that in, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Then in chapter 4, he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he recovers from that, we have this sentence. From the time Jesus began to preach, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, look what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's exactly the same phrase that Matthew attributes to John the Baptist. So as Jesus begins his public ministry, he starts it out by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So then I thought, you know what? I remember from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the beginning of the church, right? After Jesus has ascended into heaven, uh, Peter and James and John, they go out and they begin to preach and they begin to spread the good news of Jesus in the church. And in Acts chapter two, we have the day of Pentecost and we have Peter preaching. And then at the end of Peter's sermon, in Acts chapter two, verses 37 to 38, we read this. Now, when they heard this, so that's the crowd that's assembled, they were, they were cut to the heart, right? And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brother, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, what? Repent. Now, he doesn't say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the very first three major players in the beginning of the church, John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter begin their messages with the word what? Repent. Repent. And I thought, you know what? I think there's some significance to that. I'm not exactly sure what the significance is of it, but I think there's some significance of it. And I began to think about the word repent and repentance in my own life and began to think about it as it relates to a new year, right? We're starting a new year. And I think regardless of what your resolutions are, that everyone should have a desire to sin less in 2020, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, I very much doubt you're sitting down having some time of quiet reflection and you think, you know what? I want to be more wicked this year, right? I don't think anybody is thinking that, right? You, you have ideas of ways in which you want to change, or maybe you're not a person. I don't really do resolutions. Maybe you're a person who doesn't really think about this much, but, but hopefully you have a desire to sin less in 2020 than you sinned in 2019. And sin, of course, is not simply not doing the things we're not supposed to do or doing the things we're not supposed to do. It's also not doing the things that we are supposed to do. So, so it's both ways, right? And so hopefully all of us can think about this. You know, I really, I really want to sin less in my life in 2020. And so I was thinking about that and repentance. And in conjunction with this incredible promise from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that Paul writes to the church. And he says this, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you will be able to bear it, or that you will be able to endure it. Now, I've had that verse memorized for a lot of years. And it really fascinates me. Because... The plain reading of that text is that every time you and I find ourselves in a situation where we are tempted either to do wrong or tempted not to do right, every single time we have, as a follower of Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do the right thing. Every time. Basically, you have the ability, I have the ability, to never sin. Now, guess what? It doesn't work that way, does it? 
I don't think there's anybody in here that would stand up and give a testimony of, you know, 2019, perfect score. Never sinned. All right, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody was going to say that. So, so why not? Why not? Many of us struggle with not just necessarily specific sins, but patterns of sin. That we have tried to break over and over again. We have prayed about them. We have cried about them. We have made new resolutions. We have made new decisions. We have drawn new lines in the sand. We have said, that's the last time. And yet we still do it. For example, pornography. If the statistics that you read on the internet are correct, a significant percentage of the men in this room, in churches, struggle with pornography as a pattern of sin. And some women as well. Unforgiveness. Scripture is clear. We are to forgive. And yet as a pattern, sometimes, some people, maybe you, struggle with that. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive her. Pride, envy, jealousy, all kinds of things that become patterns for us, ingrained behaviors that we know are wrong or things that we know that God is calling us to do that we know are right and that we just refuse to do or just can't seem to do it. How do we put that up against 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a follower of Jesus? How do these things fit together or not fit together? And I wonder for me, and maybe for you too, if repentance is a problem. If we don't really, if I don't really repent. Now, most of us often find ourselves in a position frequently where we're sorry for what we've done or we're sorry for what we said, right? We're sorry because either we were caught and we see this all the time in the media, right? You're caught, and so all of a sudden you're sorry. Or we genuinely are sorry because we know what we did was wrong or we know what we didn't do was wrong. But that's not the same as repentance, right? Being sorry is not the same as repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to the Corinthian church what may have been letter number four, letter number three. We don't really know, but we know at least there are two because we have a 1 Corinthians and a 2 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, the, the bulk of that letter is written to correct the Corinthians from things that they were doing wrong. Division in the church, bad conduct at the Lord's Supper, sexual immorality, all kinds of things that they were doing wrong that he's trying to correct. And he must have heard back from them, probably via letter or messenger, that some of that worked, that there were some changes that happened in their lives. And so he writes this back in 2 Corinthians. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So, so there's different kinds of sorrow in the world. And is part of my problem, and I mean not I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. It's part of my problem. In the patterns of sin in my life that are way too evident to me, is it a repentance problem? I'm sorry, but am I really 
sorry? Or have I allowed God to make me sorry? That's an interesting phrase, right? It says, no, go, go back, go back. <laughs> Look at that again. Now, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. But, but that's a passive verb. It's, it's, it's not that you made yourself sorry. It's that something else made you sorry or someone else in this case, which is God. That God is actually involved in bringing us to repentance. That it's actually a work of God that has to happen in my life and in your life to bring us to a point of genuine repentance, which can then lead us to a point of genuine change. Now you can go to the next slide. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Human sorrow leads to other things, right? And they're not all bad. But if you're sitting here this morning and you can think, I'm not, I'm not, nobody's, nobody's looking for you to raise your hand. But if you're stuck, you're stuck in a pattern or patterns. Is it possible that though we have the emphasis of repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe from John the Baptist, Jesus and Peter. Is it possible that we still haven't really repented of that pattern? Is it possible that though we're sorry and though we realize it's something that we should stop, that we really haven't gone to God about it in a way that produces repentance? In the next, um, the next slide says that genuine repentance means to change one's mind. Now, we can change our minds about a lot of things. We can change our minds about what we want for dinner We can change our minds about what we want for television to watch on TV or the internet. We can change our minds about what kind of clothes we're going to wear. We can change our minds about all kinds of things. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God actually changing something in you that leads you away from that sin instead of leading you into that sin. The Greek word that is translated repent is a word that means to change one's mind. And I wonder if, and I think this is true for me, I can get to a place where I can sort of fool myself into thinking that I really want to change. But deep down I wonder, is it really what I want? And I want to ask you to consider the same thing this morning. When you're stuck in a pattern of sin, do you really want to change? Do you really want to change. How does a lack of change fit with 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Fit with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us the ability to have victory over temptation in every case. How does that work when we find ourselves stuck in a pattern of sin? When the trail of guilt, shame, or consequences wears away, we find ourselves right back where we started. Have you anybody ever been there? Don't put your hand up. I think we've all been there. I'm not going to do this again. And then we do it. If I do this again, I'm going to... And then we don't really do that. Could it be a repentance problem? Could it be that deep down, 
maybe even at a place that we can't access, access, we don't really want to change. And so we don't. I don't know for sure. But I'm asking you to consider it as I've asked myself to consider it. And I won't go into great detail, but one of these patterns of sin in my life has been broken and I don't understand why. Except in times of crying out and asking for repentance. Maybe recently it was granted. And it's not a struggle for me anymore. Isn't that interesting? And I'm wondering, how does it work? Why does it work? Why does it take so long? When we allow the Spirit of God to change our mind about something, then we will change our behavior. You see, God is not going to let you and me stuck in sin because he wants to stick us in sin. I think I may have told this story before, but I once knew a man in, in New York, and um, he, was, um, he was a guy that, that struggled with substance abuse, alcohol, and, and recreational drugs. And, um, and so he, he, um, he, he became a follower of Jesus, and he, he continued to struggle with these things. And we prayed, and we cried, and he continued to struggle with them. And, and, and then one day he came to me, he says, you know, I figured this out. I said, oh, what have you figured out? He said, well, I figured out that, that God is actually letting me sin so that I'll have a better testimony later on when he delivers me from it. And I was like, no, no. No, I don't think God's doing that. I don't think God is the author of sin. Because when our mind is actually changed, and, and you can look at this two ways. The way I want to look at it is this takes a lot of pressure off of me. It's not about the things that I put into my life. And I'm not saying that you can't put in rules and restrictions and, and boundaries and accountability and all that stuff is fine. But when it really comes down to it, especially in those areas where there are patterns of things that we struggle with, I wonder if it simply is because we haven't allowed ourselves to be made sorry. God hasn't done it yet. And could it be because really deep down we don't want him to change it? Because we want to do it. When pattern of, patterns of sin persist, what is the problem? Could it be repentance? Now, I also don't think, and what I'm not saying, is that you could, not gen, you could genuinely repent and perhaps still do the same sin again later. I think that's possible. Otherwise, I suppose we could become sinless. <laughs> at some point, we could just repent appropriately at the right time, and then the sin will be gone, and we'd never see that sin again. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. But I do wonder about the patterns. A pattern of jealousy. A pattern of lust. A pattern of envy. A pattern of unforgiveness. Repent. 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 Will you do it? Will you repent? Will you put yourself in a position where you say to God, God, change my mind. I cannot believe that he will not answer that with a yes. 
And look at the benefits of repentance. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 11, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves. There's this sort of cleansing metaphor we see here. What indignation, which doesn't mean, usually that's a negative word in our vocabulary, but it, it means more like passion. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things, you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. These are the benefits of repentance. When God reaches into our lives in a way that I don't understand and changes our mind about that sin, there's such a burden that's relieved. There's such a cleansing, such a clearing for our lives. I want you to continue to strive with him. If, if you're not there and, and, and you've been begging and you've been, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand. There's no magical formula. There are no words to say. But don't give up. Don't settle for that pattern. Continue to seek the Lord. Continue to seek repentance. Perhaps he'll grant it to you. And things will change. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song that we sing here a lot that talks about this idea of cleansing. And the first lines of the song are, we bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. Before we sing, I'm going to invite you just to sit quietly in your seat with your eyes closed in a time of prayer. And would you perhaps today, if God has led you, would you say, you know what, God? I really don't want to continue this anymore. I really want this pattern to be broken. Again, it doesn't have to be a bad thing that we do. It could be something that God is calling us to do that we refuse to do it. I bow my heart. I bend my knee. Come make me humble. Break the pattern through repentance. Produce in me a godly sorrow that makes something that used to be so alluring no longer enticing. Or something that I'm supposed to be doing that seemed to be so challenging and so impossible now doable with your strength. So if you'll just bow your heads and we'll just silently think about that for a moment, then I'll ask us to stand and we'll sing the song together. So let's just pray.